Nasty Women. I'm Samita, and my co-host is Kate, uh, and this is Feminasty. Today, we have a special guest who's known for her work in comedy. Before we get to that interview, we wanted to talk a bit about some things that have been happening all over the entertainment industry. Kate, you had a really viral tweet yesterday or two days ago. Tell us what your tweet was. The tweet was... I'm sorry for all the times I stabbed men just a little in my previous workplace. After years of counseling, I stopped stabbing men. And and I wrote that right after I saw Mark Halperin's shitty mea culpa about how he literally said, like, oh, when I worked at ABC, yeah, I was shitty to women and it was wrong and I'm sorry. But um, anybody who knows me knows I went to counseling and I haven't harassed anybody in at least 10 years or something like this. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is your actual defense? And the tweet just blew up like like nothing I have done on the internet in a decade. It currently has 63,000 likes. It's been shared 19,000 times. The, you know, the engagement is like off the chart, um, hundreds of thousands. And people just reacted to it. And what's so brilliant about it is that people should go look it up, not because of my genius tweet, but because it started the most hilarious thread of people just riffing on the whole like sexual harassment equals stabbing idea. So you've got like Tim Carmody, who poor guy, now he's being inundated with uh, messages. He said, in the 90s, everyone was stabbing men or chopping off their body parts. I understand now that this was wrong, but it explains the context. Yeah. And what I and the reason I think it went viral and what I love about it is that it really shows this double standard and how we talk about crimes against women as though it's like we yes. just take it less seriously. Whereas like we don't mm-hmm. give anyone else the benefit of the doubt with any type of crime except for this type of crime. Sexual assault is really similar, right? right? Like we blame women for getting sexually assaulted, but you would never blame someone who owns, like someone who had their car stolen. You would never be like, How? well, this is what you get for buying uh-huh. a car. Like you would never right. say that, right? <laughs> yeah, and I think exactly. that that, you know, your tweet kind of shows the double standard. But for the listeners, let, let's tell them what happened with Mark Halperin. He's a... Uh... Oh, Christ. So, okay. So he's a political pundit who has been in the game forever and wrote Game Change, in fact. And he is like high on the list of people who were so just viciously anti-Hillary that you knew there was something personal there. And and whether that personal thing is like some kind of encounter he has had with her or if it's just like the guy hates women, it was so clearly like just an irrational, that foaming at the mouth, Hillary hatred. And so now several women have accused him of of sexual harassment and I think some groping and things. And oh, and and pressing his penis against them in meetings. Like, it's just so gross and so familiar. And the thing I love that a lot of women have been talking about, but that Rebecca Traister basically always writes the piece, I wish I could write if I were smarter. Um, And she wrote this amazing thing where she talked about how guys like... Halprin, you know, have shaped the political narrative that like the things that become the conventional wisdom about candidates, about political races are shaped by these guys who have this like deep hatred of women that they aren't fucking reckoning with. Um, And similarly, Harvey Weinstein, you know, shaped the kind of stories we got to see. And and as that continues to go on, like and yesterday I saw, um, you know, a list of the 84 women who have accused Harvey and and they put it together themselves and there were so many names on there that I went oh I wondered whatever happened to her yep. 
you know, we always want to talk about like, oh, well, you know, but an accusation can ruin a man's career. And it's like, yeah. And also that moment where you reject a man who's trying to get you to, you know, massage him in a bathroom or something like that, or a man who rapes you. Um, what happens to those careers? Where are all the women's voices we didn't get to hear? Uh, both because men are so in control that they never actually let women make yeah. movies. And because, you know, we didn't even get to see all of these actors who would have had amazing careers, but they were derailed because they said no to Harvey fucking Weinstein. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think Michelle Dean tweeted something about that where she was like, just to think of how many hours women, how many hours of women's contributions we lost due to harassment and sexual yes. abuse. And I've been thinking about that a lot, too. How many stories, how many productions, how many, you know, and then you think about the women that have made it through the industry, right? Like the Shonda Rhimes and the mm-hmm. Ava DuVernay and what they must have had to overcome yeah. to get to where they are in the industry. And, and you know, what's interesting is, you know, rumor has it like, that, you know, Shonda Rhimes is difficult to work with or, you know, a lot of these women mm-hmm. that are at the top of the industry or even like Anna Wintour. Like if you look at media, like, oh, she's yeah. difficult to work with. She has like a difficult personality and it's like she has probably had to like encase herself in steel right and And literally just like lunge herself against this environment that does not want her to be successful does not literally wants to diminish her every step of the way and the thing that i've been thinking about a lot is how media is very like as we see with bill o'reilly has another um it turns out that he had a 32 million dollar settlement that fox knew about $32 $32 million. Like, what could you have done? What did you do to get $32 million, Like, Like, to have to pay $32 million. Like, how disgusting were you? Like, right? it's so outrageous, right? And Fox knew that and hired him again. And you think about it, it's like, these are just unregulated industries. These are labor problems. Like, these are unregulated industries yes. where women literally walk in and they are judged by what they look like. Anyone can treat them any way. And these men can manipulate them because they're ambitious. And it's like, it's literally like women are second class citizens in the entertainment and media industry. This is not a few bad apples. And that, um, you know, Sarah Polly also wrote a wonderful piece, I think, in The Times uh, about saying that basically the reason they couldn't do it to me was because I didn't have huge ambitions as an actress. That she didn't, you know, she was happy to stay in Canada and become someone who makes movies instead of, you know, I got to go to L.A. and strike while the iron is hot and become the biggest possible actress I could be. And I think from now on, like, we just have to assume that if we hear that some, you know, woman in Hollywood is quote unquote difficult, that means she pissed off a powerful man probably by rejecting his boner. The other thing I've really been thinking about, and I think this, you know... Our, our guest will speak to this as well of like using comedy in a space and in an industry that is so fraught but the thing that I've just really been thinking a lot about is like what are the solutions because it literally feels like men cannot be trusted in leadership like that's like literally how I feel right now like I'm like right. men should not have no one should have unfettered access to power nope but men have shown <laughs> that they absolutely cannot handle it yeah <laughs> and they have no idea what to do with it <laughs> they, they don't know what to do with it and you know and you and I've been doing this work for over a decade right of like calling out you know problematic representations of women and mm-hmm. people of color in the media and it's like 
we say it and we say it and we say it and people will throw us a bone every now and then like TV's really good right now like it's right. really diverse and you know but the movies aren't still I also love television and I love movies and I love entertainment and I just don't you know I've really been like thinking a lot about like what are the solutions like do we need to bring everyone down like is that like what needs to happen right well, now well you know it's so hard because it's like at the risk of sounding like I'm not just an unmitigated man hater you know it's not even that it's men so much as it's a thing that primarily men do it's it's basically it's the bullies are the ones who get to the top and you know we can, we've never seen that so clearly as we have with fucking trump as president but it's these guys because you know as you hear story after story and i mean we can talk a little about how exhausting that gets too but of how these things went down it becomes so clear that you know what feminists have been saying for decades and decades literally since before either of us were born that this is not about sex it's about power it is about wanting to humiliate people and and it's the same you know i was thinking the other day that it's the same impulse as like just playing a nasty prank on someone where the whole thing is about you setting up this thing where they have no way to defend themselves no way to know what's coming and you're just gonna like make them feel as small as possible And what is it in our culture that just keeps rewarding that behavior to the point where people end up super rich and powerful by being the asshole, like, middle school bullies? Because it's not for every one of these stories that is coming out. It's not just the person who committed the crime. It's not just, you know, Mm -hmm. who the allegations are against. It's the entire network of people around each one of these women's stories that worked to silence those stories. It's the assist, you know, and people are coming out and saying that stuff now there. They feel shameful about it. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but the new Republic guy, the Atlantic piece that came out, Leon Weaseltier, you know, he worked in a publication that was, you know, in some ways left, like left leaning publication with some of, the, the best writers, so it's so the best political writers in the country today um, came out of there. And you really do have to wonder, like, how many people probably knew this guy regularly acted like this? Right. But everyone turned a blind eye to it. And I know, having worked in hostile and toxic work environments, how mm-hmm. terrifying it can be to feel like your boss has so much power and you're trying to make it in the industry. Like, it's very terrifying to come out and say, I'm noticing something that's not right, you know? So I understand why people didn't do it at the same time. That's the systemic nature of this type of abuse is that Mm -hmm. like you have everyone afraid to come out and say anything. And that was absolutely where they talk about in, you know, one of the articles I read that it was like, oh, well, nobody wants to be on Leon's bad side because he's the most, you know, generous and charming and lovely man in the world. If you're on his good side, if you're on his bad side, then, you know, it's the same thing with Harvey. You'll never work in this town again. Basically, he'll make your life miserable. And people just let guys like that rule instead of kind of rising up against them. Um. So on that note, well, Kate, did I tell you what I dressed up as for Halloween you this did not. weekend? Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so I dressed up as your worst nightmare, men. Um, <laughs> I was I was a uh, witch uh, on a witch hunt, um, and I had a pin to me a, <laughs> a big sign with my to do list of all the men that I was taking out. Nice. And <laughs> check marks next to their names <laughs> um, <laughs> with one that said "In progress, Donald Trump." Uh, <laughs> I love you. And the, uh, yeah, so I most people didn't get it until uh-huh. like they saw the sign and they were like, 
Oh, and I was like, yeah, I basically turned Lindy West's op-ed yes. headline into a costume. We are like, witches costume. and we're hunting you. That's yes. right. I so love I it. I am literally your worst fear. That is fantastic. I And I would like to leave it on that light note instead of actually going into how incredibly depressing it is that the phrase witch hunt has become about women going after men. <laughs> Uh, but I guess that is why it's good that we can still keep choking through all of the horror and the pain. Um, and so why don't we hop on over and talk to someone who works in comedy? This week on Feminasty, we are so excited to welcome Sarah Benincasa, who I have been like Twitter friendly with for years, but have never met in person or never spoken to. So this is really exciting for me. Um, Sarah Benincasa is a screenwriter, recovering stand-up comedian, and the author of Real Artists Have Day Jobs, DC Trip, Great, and Agora Fabulous Dispatches from My Bedroom. She also wrote a very silly joke book called Tim Kane is Your Nice Dad. In 2017, she adapted DC Trip as a screenplay with Bonafide, Gunpowder, and Sky and Adaptive Studios. She also adapted Agora Fabulous as a pilot for TV with Academy Award-winning screenwriter Diablo Cody. Born and raised in New Jersey, she attended Emerson College, graduated from Warren Wilson College, and got a master's degree in teaching from Teachers College at Columbia University. She lives in Los Angeles, and she's working on an untitled novel for Adaptive Books. Hi, Sarah. Hey, gals. How are you? Thank you. Good. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Sarah, you're a professional funny person. Um, Has the Trump administration affected the way that you approach comedy at all? Not really. I mean, I think the, the goal of comedy, whether you like the president in power or not is, or, or, or whether you're in a good mood or in a bad mood (laughs) is um, to uh, punch up which is to not punch up in the sense of getting hired to like add jokes to a screenplay, which is one way comedians make money, but is to um, bring a level of mockery and playfulness to talking about those in power who are abusing the power. And that's what we tend to contrast with punching down, which would be mocking someone who has been made a victim. Um, who has been, uh, who has had their agency taken away from them. So uh, not really because, no, I wasn't really, you know, trying to dunk on Barack Obama (laughs) very much as I agreed with much, not all, but much of of, of what he did. But yeah, you know, I mean, you know, Trump uh, is a piece of shit and uh, there have always been pieces of shit and there always will be. So it hasn't really changed it that much for me in terms of my comedy. Mm -hmm. There you go. That makes sense. I'm going to let Samita jump in with a question, but I went to a stand-up show right before the election um, where literally every comic, you know, it was a showcase of like three or four. It was in Ithaca, New York, just a very small kind of thing. And all of them, as if it were required, had to do a Trump joke and a Hillary joke to prove that they could like hang with both sides, even though you knew that all of these young comics were actually voting for, you know, we're voting against Trump at the very least. And it was an audience in a, you know, very liberal town like and I was just sitting there listening to like the Trump jokes and then, oh, but also, you know, Hillary's also weird. Politicians suck. And it's like, OK, yeah, politicians do suck. But Trump is something so fucking different. Um, and I just wanted to scream like this is not a normal election. Stop normalizing it. I couldn't even stand it. So is there anything, um, you know, since this election, are, are there jokes or topics you can't hear, bear to hear jokes about? No, not really. I, I think I'm open to anything being um, joked about as long as it's done well, as long as it's funny 
and insightful and you know accurate or or what have you um i'm pretty you know sure. down for whatever i mean somebody might make a joke you know humor is entirely subjective so somebody might make a joke about something that i think isn't funny and i think that the comic or the writer is an <laughs> asshole yes, but that happens right. that's always happened you know i don't yeah, think it, i don't yeah, think anything's yeah. off limit for for comedy yeah. it doesn't mean i like all that's it. fair one of the things i'm really feeling right now the whole like gotta hear both sides and kind of from a more journalistic perspective but obviously like a fairly outspoken feminist is you know i really struggle with publications right now trying to quote unquote do what they think is fair like i have decided that those are the people that will be the first to go in the revolution <laughs> like they like the ones that are like no but like you know nazis have a point and you're like uh no that's not we're not <laughs> this conversation's over um but like do you do you find that you know we made fun of Bush, right? And because we thought Bush was bad. Bush was very bad. This is like a whole other kind of bad. Are there things that you're like, no, actually, humor is not the solution to this issue or that joke is actually inappropriate. Like, are you having moments like that? Well, I've always had moments like that. I mean, humor is rarely the solution to a major issue. Humor can help enliven a discussion. It can help illuminate certain things. But it's, you know, very few things in life are solved by jokes. They can be helped. And certainly humor mm -hmm. is a fantastic coping mechanism. And it's a wonderful art form. And it's a fantastic way to express oneself. You know, I don't feel any, I mean, one of the great things about having been in the past a stand-up comic and now writing books and, you know, scripts in Hollywood and things like that is that I don't need to, my, I've, I, I'm not in an industry where I need to pretend to be fair and balanced, so to speak, and because that is, that is yeah. always a pretense. No one is ever neutral. No mm -hmm. one is ever um, without outside influence. And that's never been true. And it's it's a fun lie that, you know, sometimes newsmakers will tell themselves, but not newsmakers, uh, people in the news will tell themselves. But, you know, to your point, um, it's, it's not true. And also it's really ridiculous to try and perform some sort of imaginary act of, well, let's hear both sides when we're talking about people who argue for the extermination of brown people and, you know, right. Jews. So, like, maybe yeah. I don't give a fuck about them. Um, I, you know, everybody has a, has a right to say stuff and has the right to joke as they do, and uh, that's fine. I don't have to listen to it, and if I think you're right. garbage, I'll tell you. So it's great. It's great. That's why it's good that I'm not a public school teacher, which is my <laughs> master's degree is in teaching. Uh, I went to Teachers College of Columbia and I started doing stand up at night and chose to go the comedy and media route instead. And that's great because I don't, you know, I don't have to be nice, really, which is. Yeah, I, I did the same thing. I was working at a school last year and basically had to quit because I can't stand um, trying to be circumspect about my political opinions in public now. So I've made myself unemployable in all but a very few kind of industries. So, like, let's hope that it doesn't all fall apart as a writer slash now a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's always going to be jobs where, like, they don't give a crap about your politics so long as you get the job done. And those are also good jobs yeah. to have. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I love and that I recommend your book, um, Real Artists Have Day Jobs, to especially to like the students that I was working with last year, 
because I think that's such a great thing to say to just put out there that we don't talk about enough that like unless you grow up independently wealthy you're not doing this without some other source of income that isn't constantly like feeding your art perfectly yeah I mean I do copywriting as well like I do last year if I well actually this year if I look at this year thus far what my income will be from it's a series of websites it's a screenplay it's a book it's uh, copywriting for nonprofits. It's speaking at colleges. Um, hopefully, I'll, I'll have more exciting yes. <laughs> just to add. It's just so my accountant can deal with more like random forms. I mean, I think last year I, I was freelance for many, many years, and um, I think that last year I must have sent him like stuff from at least twelve different employers because, and that was pretty par for yeah. the course over the years. But I love. I mean, I love it. I love that. I I love to get having. A, a career that's diversified, doing lots of different things. I think it's great. And I think I'm, I'm very happy that, um, I didn't just, I mean, I I always wanted to be a writer. So Mm -hmm. I always knew that I wanted to be an author specifically from when I was little, but over the years I've done different things to kind of support that. And other times that has supported other things. And I'm glad that I have a variety of interests because I think I would be really sad if I were someone who, and I know people like this who have to be on stage or they're not happy or they yeah. have to be, mm-hmm. you know, playing a sport or a couple of pro athletes I know where it's, that's their, been their passion their whole lives. It's what they want. And it's very hard for them to think about transitioning to what to do afterwards. Cause it's not like coaching is the same. Coaching is right. different <laughs> yes. yeah. and sports broadcasting is different. So the, the thrill of playing yeah. is what they love. And it's hard to think about transitioning and that leads to a lot of depression for athletes so even though our basically my point is even though our tax lives are weird and our income goes up and down I think it's still cool to get to do different stuff yeah absolutely and and to never feel like any one thing I'm doing is the be-all and end-all of my career and if it goes away you know because I think and to bring it back to the overall theme we're living in times where it does feel very much like so many things could go away at any time you know our jobs Mm -hmm. could go away our country could go away um, how do you cope with that besides having a bunch of jobs? <laughs> I mean, I take Prozac and see a shrink. <laughs> I have health insurance right now. It's it's yeah. largely it's not entirely covered, but it's partly covered, which is exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, my general and this is particular to me. I, I know other people share this this sort of philosophy as well. Is I think because when I growing up, I went through different issues with severe depression and suicidal depression. And I came in my twenties to my early twenties to have this kind of philosophy. It was like, I don't know when, you know, I, I know I'm not going to die by my own hand, but I don't really know when death is coming. So I spent a lot of time thinking about it, not just in a sort of navel gazing way, but in a very like, well, is today the day I do it. And so the fact that I, you know, determined some time ago, I wasn't going to off myself, even though I, you know, sometimes I'm going to want to, led me to a place where I'm kind of like, well, I'm just going to try and lead as good a life as I can while I'm here. And uh, shit's going to happen, bad shit. And sometimes it's going to feel terrible. And other yeah. times great things will happen. And other times in between yeah. things will happen. And, um, you know, I'm just going to keep going and try to do a you know, small good thing every day and occasional large good things. And, um, I mean, there were times, uh, I, I remember when September 11th, happened and it was this extraordinary terrifying feeling unlike anything I had felt in my lifetime and I talked to a friend 
um, who was from the born and raised in the Middle East and, and was in was over here for school and was like, stuff like this happens all the time where I grew up. Like <laughs> he was like, it's I'm not like yeah. denigrating it. I'm not saying yeah. that you don't get to have feelings. This happens all the time. Yeah. So yeah. It, it put things in perspective for me, understanding that I I was the I was I was talking to someone who came from some privilege to be able to be at a private school in the northeast uh, uh going to college but i was like and i came from certainly came from privilege too and was like oh okay uh so all these things what i'm trying to say is i don't know we could die today but i've led a good life so i'm kind of cool with that and i'm just gonna <laughs> keep trying to help in my way to to resist the administration and to help people feel less alone <laughs> and i know i can't change it all but i can do like small no. things Sounds very healthy. Sounds very r- realistic. I don't have a lot of inspiring platitudes. It's more just like, well, some of things are terrible, but the sun is shining, and I just was able to buy organic kale. Right. So I feel like a fucking yeah. hero right yeah. now. Very yeah. exciting. Yeah, I hear that. I get really interested in like tiny little details in my life that make me happy, like shoes. You know, absolutely, (laughs) definitely like those things, you know, Samita and I have gone back and forth on how much we hate the term self-care, but those little, the little things that you're doing for yourself, the, you know, seeing the sunshine, realizing, you know, you still have friends, their dogs still exist in the world. I just moved to Miami and I'm happy every time I see a little lizard run across in front of me. On the That's sidewalk. awesome. So, um, so yeah, I think those little things um, are pretty good. And the older I get, the more I feel like those little things are all there really ever was to being, yeah. you know, a generally content person. Yeah, because I mean, I, you know, you can do, you can do small good things every day to help other people. And you can't change the world on your own. But if enough people are doing small good things all the time, we can affect some change. Um, and I think Definitely. that certainly looking at it, you know, this is a time of great difficulty for a lot of people um, financially and economically, um, emotionally too, in all different ways. So I think that one thing that always sustains me in, in times of difficulty, whether it's because of the world around me or just because of crazy stuff happening inside my own head is to, to look at gratitude. What am I grateful for? That motivates me. For other people, it's anger. It's a righteous kind of anger. And, and that fuels them. For other people, it's, gosh, a million other things. For me, it tends to be, what am I grateful for? And how can I pass that on to others? And in my writing and in, in pretty much everything I do, my goal is for people to, to help make people feel less uh, alone because isolation is a killer. Yeah, that is so yeah. great. And, and I think and it's so important, too, that some of your writing is for the young adult market and that you are, you know, reaching out to young people who I think might be especially freaked out right now. Like right after the election, one of my students who was like 22 years old, 21 years old, she was just so devastated as we all were. And she came in and she said, like, is this normal to feel like this after? And I was like, no, no. Like, you have to understand, like, I was pissed off when Bush got elected, but I wasn't like crying and like, holy shit, is democracy over? And and so I think for young people who, 
you know, have so many struggles going on in their lives emotionally anyway to then be living under this. Um, I'm just so happy that they have some people like you who are out there speaking to them in a really like just honest and important way. Thanks. I mean, I love that age group. I, you know, that's my, my master's was um, teaching English for grades seven through 12. And I speak, nice. I travel and speak to colleges. Um, one of my thousand gigs is speaking to college students and I love it and yeah I wrote a young adult novel called Great a few years ago which was like mm -hmm. queer teen Gatsby which was really fun are inspired by Gatsby <laughs> with lesbians but um <laughs> I uh I write I contribute sometimes to awesomeness tv and that's really fun I write for them sometimes because their audience target is around 18 to 22 year old women and I just it's a it's a fascinating age group a very active, very passionate age group. Um, I just, it's so, they're just the most fun to listen to and um, learn from. Mm. So I, I love writing for them. So Sarah, you're also pretty, um, just shifting gears a little bit, you're pretty politically outspoken on social media. Um, do you do you get pushback from people that are like, no, you should just be a comedian, like just make jokes like you're, you know, do you get like that? And like, what do you think about that? No, I get more like, shut up, you fat bitch. You should get raped because I'm a woman <laughs> oh, yeah. and with an opinion. So it's more of that. Yeah. It's rarely career based. It's more like I should do sexual violence to you because you're a chick with an opinion. Um, no, not really, because I'm not really known as a stand-up, uh, I don't think, because I'm not a stand-up anymore. You know, I used to be, but I never achieved great fame and fortune with it. And I always, I did it, I started doing stand-up because I wanted to get my writing on stage, because no one was really publishing what I wrote. And so for mm -hmm. me, stand-up was a workaround to getting my first book deal. Uh, I started yes. doing stand-up and then did a one-woman show called Agora Fabulous about agoraphobia, and then got a book deal from that. So I don't really get people going, stick to comedy, because they don't really perceive me as a comedian because I'm not a stand-up comic. You know, I'm a humor writer. But um, I don't know. I think, like, I just interviewed mm -hmm. Sarah Silverman. I wrote the cover story for Bust for October-November issue. And nice. I talked to her about that a lot. And, like, I've seen, even when she tweeted out the cover or retweeted me talking about the story, that a lot of people were, like, one, like, dumbass was, like, I was more attracted to Sarah when she was funny and talking about Sarah Silverman. Yeah. And I, I didn't respond. But it's, like, dude, you, she never would have fucked you, right, you piece of shit. Exactly. Like, none of us would. Yeah. Gross. yeah. Like the, Nobody likes yeah. you. The least <laughs> possible interesting question to her would be whether you want to fuck her. Like, to any Yeah, of like, us. do you really think anybody wants to fuck you, you fucking asshole? No. No one cares. Right? Shut up. No Stop one. talking. You're pointless. Yeah, exactly. Like, you have yeah. nothing of import yeah. to say. So bye, dude. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's not really been an issue for me. If I were if I were more successful, I'm sure it would be. Yeah. But it's not. Uh. Blessedly, like, <laughs> hanging out here in, in, in the middle. Right. Um, but, uh, it's been it's been pretty good. Yeah, we certainly are familiar with the, you know, I hope you get raped to death, you fat bitch comments. Um yeah, it's just like a good way to start the morning. So the comment, not the experience. Oh, yeah, the experience yeah, no, is I'm horrific. Sure. Yes. But the comment is very refreshing after I meditate every morning. Uh, it's yes. good to see. But I'm, you know, I block, I subscribe to a block list. Will Wheaton has a block list you can subscribe to that I subscribe to. It's very helpful. And I just, you know, I mute, uh, I, I block, I, I only, I usually mute people who annoy me or bother me um, because with some men in particular can inflame them. If you block them, they think that, 
Therefore, it's a sign to them, even though it's you shutting the door and never paying attention to them again, they think it is a sort of a victory. And for, for those of them who want to um, win points or who are really obsessed with you, it can inflame them. So it's kind of like a, mm-hmm. a you know, it's a line. And occasionally I've had to call my lawyer, which is fun, just twice. Yeah. And it's a good time. It's always good. And he knows uh, so much about this stuff now because he's, he's had to because he's an entertainment lawyer. Possibly related to that and possibly not. Sarah, the question that we ask all of our guests is, what makes you a nasty woman? Uh, I think the fact that I'm extremely hot and smart (laughs) (laughs) and like a really good loving friend (laughs) who wants her friends to believe that they're hot and smart because they are. Um, I would say that. I would say probably what part of what makes me a nasty woman is that I'm not, I mean, nasty, obviously, there's the sexy version of nasty and then there's the like, your mean part of nasty. And I think that part of it is that uh, uh, probably I'm not the mean part of nasty. Like um, I, you know, I mean, I just called the guy a piece of shit cause he was, <laughs> but I'm not, you know, I'm not somebody who's like that girl's wearing the wrong outfit. What an asshole. Or like, I hate that person because her hair is different or she's poor. What a loser. <laughs> like to me, that's true. Awful nasty. Does. I think it's that hopefully I combine compassion with, um, with, fun rage <laughs> <laughs> oh my god compassion with fun rage that is perfect <laughs> yeah which i think both of you and you're writing and your work in different ways also do yeah that, definitely. you know yeah it was funny when you were, when you were talking about you know your way is gratitude and other people's way is righteous anger i was just like yeah i'm pretty much stuck in the anger track but, yeah, yeah that's cool that <laughs> is totally cool i actually just went on birth control and and was like, why? And started feeling angry, real angry. And it's like from the birth control, like the crazy <laughs> side effect of it. And I was feeling all pissed, but I stopped for a sec. And I was like, all right, so am I pissed because there's some shit I'm not looking at in my life that I'm angry about? Am I pissed because of things happening in the world around me? Or am I pissed because I took a chemical that influences me? And uh, bring certain things out. And I decided it was the latter after talking to some friends because people, you always hear people going, oh my gosh, like you can, you, you can break out on birth control or it'll clear your skin or you can, you know, you can this, that, and the other thing. But I had never heard about like the anger part. Yeah. And uh, it turns out that a lot of people get angry on birth control. And I was like, oh, sweet. I'm, there's like normal healthy anger, right? Mm. But then there's right. the kind where you're like, wait, I'm having fits of rage that feel like I drank a bunch of whiskey and want to punch a wall. Oh, I should probably like try a different way to not have babies. Yeah. (laughs) A different brand at least, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's so interesting. I am, you know, I am such a proponent of chemicals for all sorts of things. I think that medicine is wonderful and yeah. Yes, I'm a big fan. You do have to so often sit there and be like, okay, is this me or is this the drug or is this me on the drug? And you know, is that yeah. something I want to keep or not? And sometimes I think you become, um, I mean, first of all, I feel so grateful to have birth control options in this country. Oh my God, we're yeah. going to we're gonna have to continue to fight for them as, as we as women always have. But um, I, uh, I think it is interesting. You become kind of your own science experiment is what I will sometimes tell when I go around to schools and talk to students in college and they'll say, um, you know, I think I might benefit from medication, but I'm nervous about it. And I'll say, just so you know, you have, you're going to have different options or there's not just one medication for, to treat, you know, schizophrenia. There's not just one meditation to treat bipolar two. There's not just one medication. And I said, and that's a good thing, but the tough thing is that then you become your own science experiment. And it's very hard to be an advocate for yourself when you're feeling mm-hmm. terrible. 
Yes. So we kind of talk about peer resources and uh, finding the right counselor and stuff like that. But it, it happens with like birth control methods too. You become your own science experiment. Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, we are so grateful to you for joining us today to talk about all of these important things and some fun things. Thanks. So nice you guys are rock stars. This is a big deal <laughs> to me to get invited to do this. I really appreciate it. I know you're also yeah, probably please. real, real busy, busy right now, too. Uh, well, only with good things. We can't complain. Uh, Sarah, where can our listeners find you on the Internet? Oh, well, you can go to um, sarahbenincasa.com is sometimes updated. Uh, and I, but if you, if you wanted to me to write a thing for you or come to your school, that's a good place to go. But um, also I'm at Sarah J. Benincasa on Twitter and I'm uh, at Sarah J. Benincasa. Uh, oh no, on Facebook, I'm official Sarah Benincasa, which is really funny because it's not like there's anybody else pretending to be Sarah Benincasa, but my man, my old manager picked it and I was like, that's hilarious. I'm keeping it. <laughs> that's good. So silly. <laughs> The official. Yeah. The official. The official. Very official. Right. Oh, I'm at Sarah J. Benicasa on Instagram. It would be great to oh, get but... a lot of Instagram followers so I can get like free shoes and stuff. Right. <laughs> there you go. All yeah. right. Follow her on Instagram, Sarah J. <laughs> Benicasa, the official one. Thank you All so right. much. Hey, Nasty Women. Thanks again so much for listening. We love talking to you, and we would also love to hear from you. As always, we really appreciate any reviews you might like to leave us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And also, we would like to hear what makes you a nasty woman. You can email feminasty at macmillan.com, that's M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N.com, and send us a voice memo telling us what makes you a nasty woman. And we might just use it on next week's show. So send us a voice memo, feminasty at macmillan.com, leave us a review, see you next week, and stay nasty.